interview? Yeah, oh yeah. I do. It's not just a yes or no interview. No. Uh, today is Tuesday, July 6th, 2004. My name is Barbara Hatch and I am the interviewer here with Ruth Santiago on camera. And our interviewee is Roy Good, who was in World War II. And I'm going to start, Roy, by just asking you where you were born and where you grew up. I was born in a, in Illinois, in McCoupin County, actually on the farm uh, north of between Modesto and Waverly, Illinois. And I uh, grew up in that community and moved from, I went to uh, one room country school in uh, McCoupin County and graduated from Modesto High School. 1942. And then I went to work for a few months before 1943 when I went into service. I went to service and went to and the Navy and went to immediately to Great Lakes. Everyone else was sworn in that day, everyone but two, got seven day leave. One other fellow and I were shipped directly to Great Lakes from, from Chicago. And uh, from Great Lakes, well, I joined the Navy because I wanted to go to sea. And uh, they granted my wish pretty quickly. I went, uh, I was in uh, Great Lakes for uh, six weeks training, then I went to Key West for three weeks. Then I was sent on a ship. So about two and a half months after I was in, I was on the ship going overseas. Okay? Yeah. Um you enlisted, you said, right? Because you wanted yeah, to go I would in have the been, Navy. I would have been going anyway, right. and I wanted to go in the Navy. And did they? Um, so this is a couple years after Pearl Harbor. Were you in high school when Pearl Harbor happened? Yeah, I, I was. I was in high school, and I was 16 years old at Pearl Harbor. And I, well, gee, that's too bad. That you know there'll be a skirmish; it won't affect me, but. Soon, the United States became embroiled in the, right immediately in World War II. And at that time, there, there were men that had joined the Army because there was one, one year training uh, obligation, more or less. So many of them went out of high school, right into one year training. And, went, and then Pearl Harbor broke out and they, had to stay, they did stay in. Uh, I was 16 years. I was 16 years old and graduated from high school, so I wasn't eligible at that time to go into the service. So, why did you join the Navy? I mean, what was the attraction about the Navy? Um, well, I wanted to go to sea. I wanted to be in the service. One thing I used to tell the people. I had a dry bed as long as I needed it. If I did, if I didn't need it, it wasn't there. So, I had a dry bed every night that I needed. Unlike the army guys. Unlike the army guys, they didn't have a dry bed every night. I had a dry bed every night. So, what did your training consist of at Great Lakes? And well, that was recruit training. I learned to march, learned to tie knots, learned to do the ship rigging, and this. Boot, boot camp, that was boot camp, military training. Get, get oriented to military training, to the military, and to the Navy. 
and uh, went from there to Key West where I studied sonar and radar operations. Operation. That's, and then I went to the ship where I, that was what I was doing, standing radar and, and sonar watches, as well as lookout watches. Did you have a choice about going to the Atlantic or the Pacific? No. I went where the orders said go. No, I would, in fact, I guess I wasn't given too many choices uh, from the time I said yes. <laughs> I think they did, there was something if I wanted to go to cook school or sonar, radar school, and I said, I don't want to be a cook. I think, I think that's about the only time I really made a preference. So tell tell me about sonar school. How what I mean? What's the sonar is uh, well S O N A R sound navigation and ranging is the uh, what that stands for. And the sonar is uh, where you it was echo sounding for submarines. And that was that was what we were doing, looking for submarines. That was our job. And were you assigned then to the Pacific? Would you tell me some of your, the story of like where, what ship you were assigned to and well, what was, you remember? In the Atlantic, I was on the USS Tenacity, which originally was, lit, was built and commissioned as HMS Candy Tuft. The United States Navy obtained it and recommissioned it, the USS Tenacity. It's about the size of a destroyer escort and did about the same type of work. And after the war in Europe was over, I was uh, assigned to the USS Joseph Patrick Walsh, which is an APD. And that was under construction at uh, Bethlehem Hingham Shipyards in, uh, in Hingham, Massachusetts. And I was sent there while it was still under construction was, uh, to uh, be there to witness and to check on and make sure I knew where everything was with the sonar equipment. I was going to be in charge of the sonar uh, the sonar uh, department on the USS Walsh. And so I was there when it was being constructed and watched and watched the contractors install the sonar equipment. And so so I didn't know where everything was and, and how it was installed. And then after that well, the, a, the APD-111, that's Attack Personnel Destroyer, and we had uh, LCVPs, Landing Craft Vehicle Personnel. Only, only had four, and we were, uh, supposedly, and we were told that we were going to be assigned to, to go to the Pacific Ocean and, and participate in the uh, attack on Japan invasion of Japan. However, uh, we were on the way when we got word by radio to uh, pull into Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. We didn't, we didn't know why when we went into Guantanamo Bay. We had been hearing rumors for months and months about a secret weapon. And everybody, oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a secret weapon, that's a scuttlebutt. But uh, we had heard this, the secret weapon, and they told us then we could orders and went into, went into Guantanamo Bay. Sat there for two or three days in August, and 
We got word the war was over and to proceed to Philadelphia. So a brand new ship got from Philadelphia to Guantanamo Bay, the Panama Canal, back where well, I went from Massachusetts back to Philadelphia. There we put it in mothballs and it was in towed down to Green Cove Springs, Florida and put there for posterity. Do you know if it's still around? It is not. It was there. I saw it one time after it was anchored out there. I saw it one time and then uh, a few years later went back and crossed over the same bridge there and it wasn't there. Did they scrap it? I understand that uh, during the Korean War it went to Korea and I don't know where it went. I, I, I have no idea where it went after that. I just know it wasn't in Florida anymore, and I, and I heard that it went to Korea. So that's that's all I know about it. We'll have to look it up on the internet, right? See if we can find where it is. So, by the time you, when you were in the Atlantic on the tenacity, did you encounter any German submarines? Well, actually, we saw the torpedoes. We did not really get in. We were on escort duty a lot of the time doing this, uh, taking uh, troops and materials to uh, Europe, to that countries, to foreign countries, escorting them. And uh, then later, well in June 1944, we were somewhere in the Atlantic doing, sub all by ourselves, submarine patrol and weather patrol. We were sending up weather balloons about every hour and sending in weather reports, some somewhere Iceland area, somewhere in the, the captain said we're someplace in this area. <laughs> uh, but we were patrolling, submarine patrolling and, and weather patrolling. And uh, we uh, we heard that you know the weather report that the D Day invasion was held up a few days mm -hmm. because of the weather. We might have been part of that because we were sending weather reports regularly every hour, sending up big balloons and sending in the reports. So that was that story. But you didn't, so you didn't really encounter. By then, were the German submarines? Had... We yeah, we had uh, we had when uh, Wilson, we had uh, Lieutenant Wilson. We called him Wolfpack Wilson. Because every time he was on watch, there was always a wolf pack in the area. Now we did see torpedoes, but we never, we, well, we lost a ship in the, in the convoy. And we saw the torpedoes, but we never really got a good, we dropped some depth charges, but we don't. But that's it. We don't know. So did you see the torpedoes actually moving through oh, yeah. the water? Yeah, yeah, that, that gives you a weird feeling when you see that wake coming up and you see two of them going right back behind you. <laughs> so you can see them on the surface. I we can see that there were two of them. Yeah, you could, they were just just below the surface. They were leaving the wake. They didn't hit, those didn't hit your ship? No. They, did they hit any ship in the convoy, no. those that you saw? No. And those are the only two that you encountered then? Yep. Well... Before that, in the South Atlantic, they did encounter some, but 
we didn't, I wasn't there at that time. Mm -hmm. We went back and forth across the Atlantic probably half a dozen times or so. Boston was our home port. So you were really a, a, a sort of a, not a protective ship because you weren't doing yeah, that. Well, it was an escort vessel. Escort vessel for yeah. the troops and the material going across. Material, mm -hmm. tankers, oil tankers. All of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember merchant marine ships, I think they carried troops, mm -hmm. basically. Did you um, have any bad storms? Could you tell us any exciting times <laughs> on the ocean? Yeah, the, I have seen the Atlantic Ocean when the waves were 50 feet high and when the hurricane, and we, we lost, we got lost in the convoy one time during a storm, where the convoy just scattered because it was, where you couldn't, you couldn't make headway. It, you could, you were at the mercy of the, of the waves and we were just flopping around out there in the ocean and lost, we lost contact. Well, we, get, we soon regained contact, but for a while we were out of contact. And then, you know, the eye of the storm, mm -hmm. it was as smooth as that table. The Atlantic Ocean was as smooth as the top of that table. After the day before, when there were 50-foot waves, our yard arm was dipping on that side and it on that side. And the bow would dip in and it'd feel like you weighed a ton. Then you'd weigh nothing. And there were several days we, we had nothing but apples and cheese because we couldn't cook. Were a lot of the guys sick? Uh, no, but they were pretty seasoned veterans by that time. And uh, fortunately I was never seasick. Uh, two men that I know of got shore duty because of chronic seasickness. Mm -hmm. They just, they were just sick. They, they couldn't, they couldn't operate. And uh, but definitely, the man above me was sick. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, I was, I never did get seasick. Did you ever put in at any ports while you were at sea? We did. At, uh, oh, we put in at uh, Argentina, Newfoundland one time. And we put in, when we, when we got away from, we got into ice flow one time and pulled into Greenland. And I've skated on the ice cap in Greenland, and then uh, the tip of Iceland, uh, Reykjavik, was it? Reykjavik, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In that area, yeah. uh, London, Derry, Glasgow, I think maybe. So how did you skate on the ice floe? Did you bring skates, or did you? Well, just... I should say slid. Slid. <laughs> Slide. Yeah. How big were these ice floes that you? Oh, could... oh, the ice floes. Oh. They, they were far, I've seen them almost as far down as uh, Rhode Island. Wow. But the ice, the, the uh, ice cap breaks off and there's icebergs. We, we might have sailed right over the Titanic <laughs> because we were in ice flows with the ice, uh, ice, uh, icebergs all around us. Did you, uh, would you describe, were there any times when you were really afraid? Every time we had general quarters, and my heart went up, but as far as, and every time we'd have general quarters, I, I wasn't really afraid, I was more concerned about people at home. <laughs> Strange as it sounds. 
Would you describe what you mean by general quarters? Well, general quarters, that's when uh, man your battle stations. Normally you're cruising, you got your, you're standing your watch, whatever, it's radar, sonar, lookout, wheel, uh, machine, whatever. At general quarters, man your battle stations. And on the tenacity, my battle station was a 20 millimeter gun, 20 millimeter cannon. I wanted a 40, but you only got to get a 20. It's an anti-aircraft gun. How big is it? 20 millimeter? Mm -hmm. It's a small cannon. It's mm -hmm. 20 millimeters. It's <laughs> the, the shell is probably that long, so big around. Yeah. Comes in a magazine you put on there and put your helmet on and shoot your tracer bullets and watch them. Did you have to shoot at anybody? Did you have? We to? did not. We did not. But when general quarters and never everybody had to man their battle stations and whatever it was. There are people we had another device on that that the only time I ever heard of them was on that was we call them the hedgehogs. They were forward thrown anti submarine uh, missiles. They went off on the bow. That's the only ship I ever saw that had them on it. What did they look like? Small torpedoes, so big, uh, probably two feet long. Oh, one, 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 one exciting thing that happened that didn't, it didn't happen, a non-happen. One night during a storm, some of those broke loose. They were rolling around on the deck. So, uh, McGuire and Roy Good tied a rope around themselves and tied a rope to the to the uh, ladder. Went out on the deck and secured them. Could they have blown up, perhaps? If they oh yeah, they, that's, they, they were, that's what, on contact, they would explode. If, you know, you, if, you, you, they were forward thrown. If they contacted anything below the surface, then they would explode. Could they sink the ship? I don't know. No. I did, I, prob well, probably not. They probably would have messed up the bridge and the, uh, the superstructure. Yeah, but that, I hadn't thought about that for years and years, about those things rolling around on the bow of the ship. But How did you get chosen to? Volunteered. We were sitting down in the mess hall and listening to them rolling over this one. I said, somebody's got to go. That would be me <laughs> and McGuire. Why McGuire? Was he a volunteer type person? Yeah. Was he your friend? Yeah. He was a seaman, you know, he was not a he wasn't a petty officer, he was a seaman. Big guy. Big strong guy. Would you describe like your day? I mean, just describe for people who don't know how sonar works and kind of like what your day would be like when you get up in the morning and then you have to do this or maybe not morning but <laughs> Well you stood four hour watches and Every Sunday night you dogged the watch, that's when you went from 4 to 8 to 12 to 4 and so forth. Well, the sonar, uh, sonar, sonar and radar, we went, we went back and forth. Half an hour off, half an hour on, something like that. The sonar is a, is a sound, sonar machine, sound machine, it sends a signal out 
and you wait for an echo to come back. And you can tell by the echo whether it's a... Uh, you, you can't... You, well, you have a machine to tell the range rate. That's, a, that's the speed at which you're uh, uh, coming together, range rate. But you can tell the direction by the sound of the Doppler. The Doppler, if the ping goes out, you wait, it comes back. If it's a higher pitch than the one you sent, then it's coming towards you. It, it, the range rate is closing. If it's a lower pitch, then the range rate is exceeding. It's, it's going away from you. Then, but then there we had a, a device there that recorded, and you could tell by that the direction, basically, it was the uh, it was traveling and the speed it was traveling. It was like uh, the modern day what uh, the old matrix printers you remember when they sent back and forth. Well, that was what this printer did. It was attached to the sonar machine to go back and forth. And when the ping would return, it would make a dot, and you watch those dots and see what you, you can tell the range rate and the direction. So you couldn't see anything like the modern day subs have like a, a visual. No. Screen. Well, we had an ASCAP, but you couldn't hold that. What well, that stood for, I don't remember. But that was a uh, a large screen, and and that would just it didn't show anything except a light. Had it, it, it would hit when the sonar sound would strike something, it would it would make a light on it, so it would show the the. Uh, Direction and the distance it was, because it was on a screen at 360, you know, zero, 90. It was over here. It's, it's off your port bow. Did you ever? I mean, can you pick up the difference, say, between a submarine and a whale? Did you ever see any whales or? Uh, yeah, you could. A trained ear could tell the difference between a submarine and a whale, because a submarine is a sharp echo. And the whale is not a shark. That, that took training, and that was one of the things we were trained was to detect a school of fish. You didn't pick up a school of fish, but they would be so fast that you could tell that right away. Did you ever see any whales in the in the? Oh Atlantic? yeah, yeah. Did you see them breaching or? Just, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That must have been exciting. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess it was. Yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, to see the. Whales. Uh, the first time I saw one spouting, I thought that was really a spectacular sight. And, but in recent years, we went to San Diego to do some real tourism whale watching, <laughs> which was exciting. Wait, tell me about some of your fun times that you had on the ship. Fun times on the ship. The only the fun times we had when we pull into Boston, we go to USO shows and stuff like that. And even hey, when we were pulled into Greenland one time, they had a USO show up there. I was somebody I didn't know, but they had some some woman and man up there singing and performing for the. They had, there was an army. There was an army base in Greenland. An army service. There were some soldiers stationed there in Quonset Huts. 
fun times on the ship. I, we were busy. I don't remember playing games. I don't remember playing games on the ship. There weren't any practical jokers or... <laughs> oh, Solomon. Solomon could crack you up all day. He, he imagined jokes. And he, like I say, he would crack you up all day. He was just a comedian. And uh, him, uh, his name was Solomon, and his buddy was I don't know. It's went away, but they they did they would do a routine, a comedy routine, and they were they were well. Uh, Solomon was the, was the humorist, and the other guy was a straight man. And they they just they did have fun, and they they did have fun. And they and Solomon ran the ship service store, so so he was on duty. You could talk to him anytime because he sold cigarettes and candy and whatever had in the ship service store. So when the when the war ended, what did you have to do? Did you? Um... I'll tell you. I told you I, that was that was well, that was entertaining too. The war was over. I told you the APD 111 Joseph Patrick Walsh was put in mothballs and towed to Green Cove Springs, Florida, which is right outside of Jacksonville, right near Jacksonville. Well, I was 20 years old at the time, and the way you got out was see I signed up for the duration, and the way you got out was on points. And you got points by age and overseas service for a month of service, and you got doubled for overseas service, double points. And you got points for dependents. Well, I was 20 years old and single, and so I didn't, I had to wait a while to get out. So I got permanent shore duty at St. Augustine, Florida, which was no Navy base in St. Augustine, Florida. There were three of us that assigned there for permanent shore duty to uh, shore patrols, acting shore patrol. And there we, the sailors would come in from Jacksonville and so forth on Liberty, and if they got in trouble or something, we'd put them in the brig, which was, well, what we had was a, a tent thing with a, not an Arpaio type tent, but it was, had a canvas top, and, would, but you know, they get in trouble, we put in a break. And one of my jobs, in the morning, put them in the 4x4, four four, take them back to the Navy base. They get in trouble, we put them in a break, take them back to the Navy base, turn them over to the Navy base. And that, and that went on for two or three months, living on subsistence quarters. We rented an apartment and, and lived, only we were on, on the, and so, Anyway, it came time for me to get discharged. And the captain called me in and said, good, it's my duty to request that you sign over for another term in the Navy. I said, well, you guarantee me I'll stay right here. I'll sign up for another three years. He went, good, you know as well as I know that as soon as you sign these papers, you're gonna be out of here. I said, I'm gonna be out of here without signing the papers. I'm going home. So I was discharged in Jacksonville, Florida. and. Took a train to Springfield, Illinois, where I was met by uncles and aunts and cousins, 
And uh, at that time we had the 5220 Club. You could uh, sign up for $20 a week for 52 weeks. I thought, that's what I'm going to do. Boy, I'm going to just relax for, for a year. Well, I stayed home for two weeks. I I don't think, I, I, I can't handle this. So I heard the caterpillars hiring in Peoria. So I got on the electric in Urban and went to Peoria and got hired the caterpillar in Peoria. While I was in Peoria, Bradley University is in Peoria, and uh, I was in a rooming house, a house that they really rooms out, with some Bradley students. And I enrolled in Bradley and went to Bradley University in Peoria in the GI Bill. Graduated in 1949 from Bradley University. Went to work for Rural Electric, which I got a plaque up there for working for him, and retired there, what, 13, 14 years ago? I mean, about 13 years ago, 14 years ago. How long did you work for them? Only 42 years. Oh <laughs> and where are they? Are they in Florida? Auburn, Illinois. And they're still in business. Did you meet other guys at school who were on the GI Bill as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> the class I graduated with, I graduated three years because I went, and I, I think I got 12 credits for being in the service, like the PE or something or another. I started out, started out with 12 credits or something. And then I worked with the summer school and nights, and, and I worked, sometimes I worked full time, but. I graduated in three years, and uh, oh yeah, I'd say that a third or so were were veterans, and there was in that I knew. Uh, and you see, there were four of us in that in that house that we lived in. We we lived in the garret, an attic that they converted, put rooms in it, and we the four of us rented the upstairs of that place. We were all veterans, and. So we were the old men. I was, <laughs> I was 21 years old, but I was an old man because I was, <laughs> because I was a veteran. I felt like an old man with those kids out of high school who were probably 18 or 19. But, but I, yeah, the GI Bill uh, sent a lot of a lot of people to college. So I'd say. The class I graduated was the largest class that ever graduated from Bradley, and I, I don't know, but I say a third of them were veterans, probably. So. How did the how did the high school graduates? How did they respond to you? Did they, how did they treat you as being a veteran? Oh, I, good. There was there was I had no there was no problems that I ever was aware of, because the veterans were. The older guys, and they, they had, you know, the veterans were this group, and the kids were this group. But we were in the same classes, you know. They, it was fine. You didn't hang out with them or anything. No, <laughs> no, no, not much. Uh, no, because, yeah, most of most of most most of what I hung out with were all veterans. How did the uh, how much did the GI Bill cover, like expenses? The GI Bill. Paid my tuition 
and partly on the books, part, I there were some matriculation fees, and like $120 a month or something, stipend. I think it's 120. And what did you major in? I majored in technical electrical, industrial engineering with a electrical focus program. Uh -huh. yeah. They didn't have EE. They didn't have an EE at that time at Bradley, so I took all the EE courses, but I didn't get an EE. I got a BS. <laughs> But I took all the electrical engineering courses that they had at that time. Did you ever go back to your high school and talk to the kids that were still in to school? The, to my high school? Mm -hmm. My high school is extinct. <laughs> Did it disappear during the war? Or? No. Well, I guess. Yeah. Well, it was a small town and they consolidated with another town and consolidated with another town. and. Identity was lost completely. Were any of your other family in the in the service? My brother, two brothers, and two brothers-in-law. And what service or what branch were they in? Um, my brother, one in the army, one in the navy, CBs, and my two brothers-in-law were in the army. Did they all survive the war? All. And where were they stationed? Uh, Warren was in Europe. Dale was in Okinawa. He was in the Seabees. He was building bridges for the before, before the troops arrived. And Dick was in my brother Korea, Korean War, but I'm not sure just where. And uh, Jim, uh, my other brother-in-law. He didn't get out of the States. He was in the States. He was a sergeant, drill sergeant or something in Camp Hood, Texas. So yeah, I had two brothers and two brothers-in-law myself. Well, Dick was younger. He, was, he wasn't old enough for World War II. My older brother, he was, well he didn't get in, he didn't get in until after I did because he had three kids. But they drafted him, put him in the CBs, and said no Kadama. Even with three kids already at home. So what about you? When? How did you meet your wife? Well, I, I uh, went to work at this electric uh, cooperative in uh, Illinois, and uh, I was staying with my brother-in-law, uh, and he was he worked at the school. And my wife was a school teacher, right? Carol was a school teacher there. And he said, <laughs> This is on tape, isn't it? He said, Boy, if I were single, I'd go after Carol. And I'd like to meet her. So I did. And we got married in 1952. Is she in one of these pictures? That would be, that would be her right there. Oh. That's her parents, my parents. Uh, her oldest daughter and her kids, those are all grandkids. And then is that one of your children behind you there in the wedding dress? That, no, that's our son uh -huh. and his bride. That's our daughter, that's our oldest daughter, oldest child, oldest son, 
youngest child, uh, number two son over there. So you have four children, two four boys, children, two girls. Two boys, two girls, yeah. First born, second born, third born, fourth born. And what are their names? That would be Chuck and Susan and Janet and Bob. Uh, they live in Indiana. She lives in Illinois. She lives in Oregon. He lives in Hawaii. In Hawaii. So we're here. So, so we we don't stay here all the time because, well, we went to Illinois Friday before Father's Day and came back Sunday because she was there and she was there and he was there. So we thought, well, let's go. But he's in Hawaii. And he didn't make it. What's he do? He's uh, he's just he's moving to Maui. Next week, I guess. Okay. So you were telling us about your um, our son, son uh, from Maui. What's he doing? Our son is a Starbucks man, and he's uh, he's a manager trainer, and they're transferring from Oahu to Maui because he will be the only certified manager trainer on the island of Maui, and they're opening up more Starbucks stores all the time. You've been to Oahu? Is, is, Honolulu? Yes. ABC stores, there's about as many Starbucks stores or ABC stores now. A lot. <laughs> Opened up a lot of Starbucks stores. He's been, he was with Blockbusters and the company bought up the franchises and then so he moved to San Francisco from uh, from Honolulu. Because he didn't like, he thought he didn't like the islands, but he moved to San Francisco and he found out he did like the islands. So he moved back, and the same company that had the uh, that had the Blockbuster franchise took the Starbucks franchise. So he called and said, "Hey, I'm available." And he said, "Hey, we need help." So he's been with Starbucks probably ten years, six six or ten years. I don't know, something <laughs> like that. Well, they're pretty popular, so. Yeah. He'll always, is that when you went to Pearl Harbor? Or did you go to visit him and then went to... We, uh, well, we go to Hawaii every once in a while. We have a timeshare on Kauai. And uh, last July we went to Oahu. Last February we went to the Big Island. And I don't know when we're going back. Well, we'll go to Maui next time because Bob's here probably. I've been to this several times. Every time I go, I go. To the usually Pearl go, Harbor? Usually go to the Punch Bowl in Pearl Harbor. Is, when's the first time you actually saw Pearl Harbor with the ships there? I mean. 1978, I think. I was a civilian, of course. About 78 or 9. Do you remember how it impacted you to be there, Pearl well, Harbor? Yeah, uh, well, this was the big impact. That, that was what was there at that time. That was made made a big impression. The biggest impression I had, I was there when they pulled us in. in would you hold that up so they could? I was I was there when they uh, pulled that in, and they retired. They were retiring another ship, and they were changing aircraft carriers, sending one to Bremerton. And another aircraft taking over, aircraft carrier taking over, and there was the old aircraft carrier 
the Arizona, the new aircraft carrier, all right there. Was the Missouri at all similar to your ship? No. No. Because no. that's a It's a battle wagon. Battleship. Battleship, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, hardly. We had one gun in, on the bow, two in the back. This had, what, six in front and three in the back. We had three total of the of that of the rifles. We had had the aircraft guns, but with these we didn't. Well, we were small. We had depth. They don't have depth charges. We had depth charges. <laughs> we were looking for submarines. They weren't. <laughs> they were looking for the big stuff. So did you tour the Missouri? And I did. Mm -hmm. That's an humbling experience. This is too. So you remember going on? You were able to go on the Arizona I've memorial been on site three or four times. Could you describe just kind of the your trips there and? Well, we went to Pearl Harbor, and they they uh, run the shuttles out there, shuttle boats out there to the thing, and uh, it's very solemn. It's very, and you can see you can still see the the uh, Arizona below beneath that. Well, you can you can you can see the shadow of it oh, in yeah. the in the photo. Uh -huh. I took this picture with uh, with with my little old digital camera, and I blew it up and took that, and I'm pr I'm proud of that picture. Yeah, I couldn't see the Arizona very well when I was there. It was too. See the shadow there underneath the memorial. Yeah, you can see it better from the Missouri than you can from the from the site. Well, it depends on how the tide is too. Right. The water was very oily when we were there. Is it? So you could actually see down onto the Arizona. Oh, yeah. You could see the you could see the turret. Uh, see these set on these guns. They're they're not on anymore. Those have been removed. But the the turret the, the thing they sat on is that you can see it. it it's above the water when the tide's out. On the Arizona. On yeah. the Arizona, yeah. Right. It's out out that way. <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, uh, that's a, a throat-in-your-mouth experience. Especially being a Navy, Navy guy, right? It's like, uh, like taps in the flag. Mm -hmm. And could you describe Punchbowl? Punchbowl is the burial ground in the Pacific. The military burial ground. It's. Uh, I have someplace in the archives. I have pictures of it. I, in fact, I have a picture of Annabelle Good, who was a cousin of mine, who was in the Navy in World War Two, and and uh, is buried there at uh, Punchbowl. It's the uh, cemetery of the military, and then there's. I don't know that I can't tell you the numbers, but there's. It's quite a memorial and. It's in it's in a it's in an old volcano, uh, Punchbowl they call it, and uh, any veteran is entitled to be. Well, it's a, it's a veteran cemetery, much like you know we have a veteran cemetery here, and any veteran can request to be buried there. If from Hawaii, I guess. Mm 
Would they have to have served in the Pacific? No. Anywhere in the service, they I would. think that's right. As long as you, I think you, if you're there. Now, of course, my cousin, she was a uh, Annabelle. He was a Wave in the Pacific. Wave is the women's auxiliary. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they still have it or not. Do they? I th I think so, but do I'm they? not sure. It's yeah. a, and she was in the Pacific, and and she stayed there after the war. She stayed there and taught school, and. Uh, Hana on Maui for a while, and then she moved to Honolulu. And so what did she, do you know what she did in the waves? Do you know what her job was? She was a yeoman, I think. A yeoman um, bookkeeper. And let's say in, in the civilian language, that'd be like a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. And she's buried there punch bowl. Yeah. When you talk about the Veterans Cemetery here, do you mean the one up on Cave Creek? Yes, ma'am. So, anybody, any veteran can be buried in that cemetery? Yes. Whether they were foreign or stayed in the States? Every funeral I've been there has been, <laughs> has been a VFW man or a DAV man. So. Every, every funeral I've been to there was an overseas veteran. But, so I think the way any veteran can. Uh, but there's, there's people that belong to the American Legion that never been overseas. Could you describe um, one of the questions we wanted to know is how your military service made you, how you were able to contribute to your community more, maybe, because of your service? I mean, how did it change you? <laughs> well, I mean, I know you were active with uh, in Illinois at the Post, right? Yeah, in the uh, American Legion uh, Post. Uh, I belonged to the the see the VFW did not, did not have a post in my hometown in a neighboring town. Well, I joined there, but I I just go once in a while and had a steak fry or something. I would go. Was that in Macoupin? No. It's in Sangamon County. Uh -huh. The cap, the Springfield's in Sangamon County. I lived in Sangamon County, 192 feet from Coopan County. I lived in the high tax district. <laughs> the taxes went up and across the county line. Anyway, um, changed my life. Yes, I was a kid when I went in. It came out I was an old man, and uh, I guess I learned to. I, well, one of my theories or one of my fundamental beliefs is contribute something to your family, to your community, to your church, and make a living at the same time. That's it. That's my creed. Contribute to the community, to the church, to family, and make a good living. And all at the same time, and that, that's it. And as you see, I'm, I guess I'm a joiner because I was a JC and a Mason and a Rotarian and all those good things. It's, uh, and uh, was pretty active in, in all of them. I was uh, president of the Rotary, I guess, two or three times. President of JT, JCs a couple of times. What's a JC? 
Junior Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. And a uh, 50-year member of the Legion, 50-year member of the Masonic Lodge. And I don't know how many years I've been a member of the VFW. I didn't, haven't kept track because it, it was a neighboring town and I wasn't very active at all. Except when they had they have a relay or something, you know, they have a 5K race or something, and I'd help with that or something. You know, I'd, I wasn't active in the post at all. And, uh, and how'd you end up in Arizona? Well, in 1970s we came out here on a holiday Thanksgiving golf package in Scottsdale, the McCormick Ranch. And I'd never been to Arizona before in my life. We got there like on Thanksgiving, had four days or whatever, and we liked it. Then, but that was back, you know, what did you think about retiring at that time? That was what, 20 some years ago. And uh, we looked at, well, we used to go to Florida every winter and assumed that, well, when we retired, we'd go to Florida because we went there every winter. And uh, so after I retired, I went to Florida. In fact, I went inland. In fact, I even looked at a place and went back to make an offer on it, but they sold it that morning. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, then we decided, well, we went to Texas and stayed there. And, yeah, let's go to Arizona, see what that's like. So we went to Apartment Finders and rented a place in Glendale for two months, about 10 or so years ago. We went there, stayed January, February, I guess, something like that. Went back to Illinois, sold everything and came back and never looked back. And so how'd you get from Glendale to Fountain Hills? Well, we lived in Glendale. We rented an apartment in Glendale for about several years, four, five, six years, I don't know. And, and we had some good friends from Illinois that lived in Fountain Hills. In fact, we had two families of good friends that lived in Fountain Hills. And we'd come over here and visit. And we were looking for a place for, to live. And, uh, well, let's, let's look at Fountain Hills. That, that's a nice place. That's a, that's a pretty place. Let's look at Fountain Hills. So we looked around here, apartments, and, and uh, made an offer on some places. And then, then, then our friend said, hey, there's a place on gun sites you, you, can, you can buy and uh, where you're looking for something else. So in 2000, we bought this and we quit looking. It's okay. We, we belong to the uh, church up on the new church up on uh, across from the mid school up there, middle mm -hmm. school, the Methodist Church. We belong to that, and I was busy when we were building it and remodeling the old house into the church offices. So you helped in that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you do electrical work in it? Or? Yeah, we did. I did electrical. We rewired the old there was a house there already. And we remodeled that into the, the church office. Now, the house was the church office. We built a new sanctuary last year. But volunteer help did the, did the house remodeling. They did the electrical work, basically. But we did, you know, we drove nails, too, you know. But whatever needed to be done, but Austin and I did a lot of electrical work as well. And what else are you involved in in the 
There, there's your church. Okay, VFW. How'd you find the VFW? I mean, just look them up? Yeah. And have you been pretty active with them? Hey, not really. I help out on the when they sell the, when they have I clean the tables and stuff like that, and, and I go to their functions. And, but as far as really being an officer, now I haven't really. Well, I belong two years. You've only joined the past two years. Yeah, well, see, I belong in Glendale, and I, I there's a certain amount of loyalty. Like, like I didn't join. I didn't. I didn't leave that until a year ago. Tell us about your hat, would you? Well, this is my American Legion hat from Illinois. And uh, it's got my 50-year pin on it, past, master, past commander's pin, and uh, that's for, uh, for work. And this is just a membership pin, and the uh, contribution that we dare to care a parade in Chicago, post member, post membership chairman, 1969, all time high. A post commander, 100%, all time high. So when I was commander, we were pretty active. So you're still loyal to them. I don't belong there anymore, but I, in, fa in fact, they had a Fourth of July celebration, and I said my contribution. Talk to the commander just Sunday. Uh, the immediate past commander. So, yeah, my old WW2 buddies belong there. <laughs> and your other hat is is in oh. Fountain Hills. No, this is yeah, this is a VFW Post 7507, which is the Fountain Hills Veterans of Foreign Wars. And I transferred there from Glendale, Arizona. I transferred to Glendale, Arizona, from Auburn, Illinois, where I belong to the. Veterans for Wars. And one of, one of my things I like to say about my hat here, I say, this is the USS Arizona. That was, as you know, sunk. And there are 1,133 bodies, I think it is, in that, in that. This is where it began. This is where the, the, uh, the armistice was signed on the Missouri, so I like to say, it started here and it ended here. And this picture is, this is where the battleship Arizona is, and this is the Missouri who's watching over it now. And on the Missouri, there is a plaque there where the harvest was signed in Tokyo. And I've got a picture of that too. This is, the one I'm, this is the one I'm really pleased with because the Missouri and the Arizona and that, and the, and the mooring for, there's where two other battleships were moored, where those moors are there. Are there, are there any um, closing thoughts you have for um, just kind of a, I don't know. <laughs> well, I appreciate the opportunity to be part of this program, and I'm proud to be a veteran. I served in World War II, and there were a dying lot, uh, soon to become extinct. And I've often said, you know, when they're talking about always wanting new members, well, I'm one that hopes that these 
veterans organizations will die a natural death because there won't be any veterans. No more. No more war, no more veterans. So I hope they die a natural death. <laughs> and thank you very much.